Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. This week's message is by our senior pastor, Donna Astern. Tonight my title is Staying Off the Ledge. <laughs> Staying Off the Ledge. <laughs> I chose this title because of the past month. <laughs> you know what? Um, yeah, there's been there's an awful lot of things that people are having to deal with and lots of things we're having to face and uh, even our personal lives to say nothing of what happened on Monday at uh, Virginia Tech. So there's just been a lot of challenges everywhere that you look. And you know, your Christianity needs to really count for where you're in the midst of challenging situations. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where if it works for you or if it doesn't work for you. And if it's not working for you, you're not doing it right. Okay, so we need to adjust that so that you're experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has promised to us. In troubling times, salvation of your soul includes the power to remain in peace without panicking. You know, there's a lot of people that we've seen in this past month, in this past week, who panicked. How many of y'all remember a few years ago when the snipers were coming up and down, you know, 95? You know, and people were absolutely panicking you know, didn't dare go anywhere, you know, that is no way to live right. in panic. And and we've all have got opportunities to get freaked out over things. I remember, you know, some of y'all know that Scott was in the Air Force and, and he would fly on those things he couldn't tell me about, do stuff he couldn't let me know where he was, what he did, anything. And, you know, then I'd hear some story about getting shot at and stuff like this, you know, and, and went through desert storm and all that kind of stuff and you know what you can decide to be a panicky basket case or you can decide to put some weight on your salvation and let Jesus guard your heart right and let and learn to walk in peace when everybody else around you wants to freak out so I want to ask you are you the one that's on the le- on the ledge or are you the one that's talking people off the ledge I have talked more people off the ledge this past month than I've probably done in a year. Not all local. I mean, long distance. I've been talking to people, and it's just like everybody Christian I talk to or run into, doesn't matter where they live or what's going on, they've been going through hell a mile. I talked to a lady this past week or two, and she said, how are things going? I said, well, I'm overcoming some stuff. And she says, Donna, I don't know how the devil had time to find you he's been so busy with me (laughs) and I talk to people and they're just like everywhere you go everybody is facing you know not just minor stuff but it just seems that there are real major challenges to people's peace that's going on right now and so there are a lot of people who are freaking out a lot of them are panicking they are doing exactly what the prophetic word came tonight laid their weapons down, forgot everything they learned, forgot everything they were trained, and took off just freaking out and talking crazy. I had a, a, a challenging event happen several weeks ago, and I was meeting with a, a group of people. We just went through a very unnerving, unpleasant experience together. And I turned to them and I said, now's the time to put everything you've learned about the nature of God, the Word of God, into practice. Now is when we find out what you're made of. You know? There's too many Christians that are not made of anything. The first little bit of wind blows, they freak out, they can't handle it. You know, what was that quote Greg says from Winston Churchill about, about something about we didn't, um, we didn't cross, 
Yes, about we don't quit it and cross the planes because we're made of sugar candy or something like that you know it's just like no there are things that require that you be a man or woman of God a man or woman of faith and believe that the Bible is really true and begin to act as though it were so in the midst of it doesn't matter what's going on out there I'm here to tell you your salvation is sufficient for every challenge that you and I are facing and let's face it our country is not like we're not in a war zone I mean, you're not worried about, I'm not worried about somebody coming raiding us for meeting tonight. I mean, we don't have things to worry about like they do in other parts of the, parts of the world. Isn't that true? Yep. So you have to look about it. Are you on the ledge? Or are you talking people off the ledge? Now, if you've been thinking about getting on the ledge, <laughs> what you ought to do is look around and see who do you know is not panicking? Who is not freaking out? Who is it? You know, the Bible says we need to imitate other people's faith. Who do you know that is also, that's got their feet firmly planted in the Word of God and they're not taking off running and panicking? They're not running away. They're not freaking out. They're not getting hysterical. They may be pressed. They may be challenged. They may be hurting, but they're standing. They're staying put. You know what, folks? That's who we need to imitate. When I was a little kid, I went to school. I used to walk to school, and the school... um, one morning, for some reason, I'm like in second grade. So I'm walking to school, and all the kids are standing outside the school building. And we're like, the school is locked. Nobody could get in the building. So all of us little kids are standing around there. We're going, guess we're not having school today. <laughs> a bunch of us thought it would be a good idea to go home. So I turned around, and I went back home. My mom said, you know, what's going on? I says, well, I guess we're not having school this morning because all the doors were locked and, you know, so we came home. <laughs> I came home and a whole bunch of us went home. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on, would you have done it too, baby? You know, you think about it, you know. So after, uh, after lunch, my mom decided to send me back to school. I went back to school and to my surprise, school was in session. <laughs> And my teacher said, oh, were you one of the ones that went home this morning? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, there were lots of us going home. She said, how come you didn't go stand by Miss West? She was a teacher. She wasn't going home. I'm like, oops. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you think about it. Don't we do that? We look at what all of our friends are doing. But we don't look at who is the authority or who is the person of stature or wisdom or maturity or experience. What are they doing? She wasn't going home. So I kind of got in trouble for going home that day. You know, just a little bit, not real bad, but, you know, a little bit. But it was a lesson. And I've seen that happen over and over in life. You know, you know, something, some wind of something, the devil stirs up, goes to the church. And all of a sudden people panic. They freak out. And they start talking to each other. Well, I think this. And why do you think of that? The next thing you know, I'm like, what are your leaders doing? What are the ones who have been there the longest doing? What are people who have been around the block with God a time or two? What are they doing? Are they freaking out? Then don't freak out. You know? You know that when, um, <coughs> do you know that when the persecution came upon the early church, everybody took off except for the apostles? They're the only ones that stayed in Jerusalem. Now, God used it. It was a good thing, this person that got the word out. But when suffering and persecution came, who remained put? The apostles stayed put. Folks, when trouble comes, 
Don't be ones that are taking off running and getting nervous. Put into practice everything you've come to church and you've learned. There's a reason why we teach these things. There's a reason for prophetic word. There's a reason for all these classes that we do and these trainings all the time. Because it's not just so we can have fun church meetings. But it's so that when you are faced with whatever you've got to face next week, you're equipped whatever the need is. Because you don't know what's going to happen this coming week. You know? You don't know. I don't know. I don't care how prophetic you are. There's some things going to surprise you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we are not to grieve as the rest who have no hope. You know, even you can have the same circumstances happen to us and to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. The Bible tells us clearly we're not to have the same reaction that they have. When everybody else was panicking and freaking out because a sniper was up and down 95, were you freaking out? Now, what happened if, imagine if, imagine if you were a student on Monday morning at VTech. You'd have ample reason to freak out, wouldn't you? But you know what? There are some people that learn to, in the midst of every circumstance, possess your soul and remember you're in covenant with Almighty God. And that even when you're not even trying to, God will have people praying for you. God will arrange circumstances. We've heard so many stories of God intervening when somebody didn't even know. I'm here to tell you, God has delivered you of more things than you're even aware of. Many, many things you don't even know. You know, you think you're just living your life and doing whatever. And every now and then you get a little bit of a glimpse. That could have been me. Oh, I was just there. Every now and then you get a glimpse. But I believe that we are largely unaware of the myriad of attempts the enemy has made upon our lives every single day. There are things we have, we've had happen to us. We said, oh, I guess I got lucky. There is no such thing as luck. It is the providential hand of Almighty God that's been at work. And so, let's, you know, we need to be people of confidence that, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? Walking under the, sh- the valley of a shadow of death, you've got to be pretty close to get under a shadow. Isn't that right? But it says, even so, to fear no evil. Why fear no evil? For the Bible says, because you are with me. Isn't that right? Let's learn at First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. I better go through this. I get to preaching and we won't get done. But, <laughs> but I want us to stay off the ledge here. I want you to be really encouraged because you're probably going to talk somebody off the ledge this week. Better you should be talking them off than them talking you off, right? And I'll tell you what, y'all, I got tired. I got tired. It's been a very challenging month for me, very challenging. I took off a couple of days this week just to go somewhere where I wouldn't think, you know? I did. I took off a couple of days. I went. It was kind of funny. I went down. I thought, oh, I'll go down where I don't really, not super familiar. I was going to go down to Nags Head, right? Go down to Nags Head, look at the pretty water, you know, just don't think about much. I go to the hotel. She tells me, I said, uh, oh, she says, you have to come back because the rooms aren't clean. And I said, well, I kind of figured you wouldn't be busy this time of year. Oh, no, we got 22 rooms going to, to middle schoolers coming in. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I said, is there a convention? <laughs> she said, no. She says a lot of schools just like to send their kids, you know, you know to the Outer Banks. And I thought, that's great, but I came for peace and quiet. And I knew that even as well supervised as they might be, there'd still be the door slamming, the ice machine, the whole thing, just from 22 rooms being occupied. I went to two more hotels. I found out busloads of kids were coming in. <laughs> busloads! <laughs> I was like, 
I'm going to find another place. And so I went, I just forget Mag's head. I, I went to Elizabeth City. It's nothing to write home about, but I didn't know anybody there. And I just wanted to not have to think. Left my computer, you know, didn't answer my cell phone. Just, I'm going to go and just not think and get myself kind of readjusted just because of all the pressure of everything that's been going on. So let's look at First Peter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. How about that? He takes notice that they are rejoicing. Anybody notice you've been rejoicing lately? They should be noticing you're rejoicing. It says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So even if you're being distressed by trials, people should still notice you're rejoicing. Is that what that says to you? Okay. Verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice, there's that word again, with joy inexpressible and full of joy, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Notice that these people are distressed, but they're rejoicing. Folks, this is where we've got to be. When challenges are coming to us and painful things, that's what it means by distress, trials. This means, it means it's not fun. But in all the midst of that, I rejoicing because we're not a somebody without hope and without God in the earth because you still have salvation guaranteed by Jesus Christ because God is your Father God. You're in covenant with Almighty. And it says your faith is being tested by fire, but it's going to result in praise, glory, and honor. Your faith is being challenged. Every time you're being tempted to get up on the ledge because it doesn't look too good, you know, your faith is what's being tested. You know, I was talking to someone today. I said, great battles equal great victories. You know, if you are going through hell a mile right now, if you are going through the pressure and the, the stretching of your faith, it is meant to produce praise and honor and glory for the Lord. But how's that going to be if you're up there on the ledge? God's not glorified when his people are out there on the ledge, folks. It's time for us to rise up as men and women of God and act like God's on the throne. Everybody feel rebuked tonight? I feel like I'm rebuking myself. I just feel like this is a just good exhortive thing just to, because you know what? We've got to get ready. You don't know what you're going to face this week. Most Christians in this country are wimps. Yes, they are weak. They have no faith. They have no power. And they're completely compromised with the world. And that's how come God doesn't answer the prayers. Nothing ever happens in their life. And they're a poor witness. Mm-hmm. You know, most Christians are, are, are a disgrace in my humble opinion. <laughs> This is why I'm on fire and I have so many other people on fire to change that. I have said, if you are here, we will grow you up. You will learn to stand on your own two feet and go toe-to-toe with your adversary and win. We will, we will love you, comfort you, hug you, and kick you in the rear when you need it, right? 
Because you know what? This is the army. There is a war that's on out there. And the devil is not looking. He does not play fair. And, we, and I get angry when I've seen the things that the devil has done to people's lives. And I get angry over the lives that were taken this week. I get angry over all kinds of injustice and things going on. But we've got to train up an army that can come to the rescue. They can come and be there and provide answers for people who are hurting. And you're not going to get that sitting around singing Kumbaya and reading a lesson out of quarterly. I'm sorry. That stuff doesn't work. That's why we have discipleship going on. We intend to teach you how to manage your money, how to cast out devils, how to hear from God, how to learn to pray with power and with faith, and how to be a bold witness in Jesus' name. That's what we're about. We get you counsel, we get you delivered, get you set free, get you whole, find what God's called you to, let's go for it. You know, life's too short. And let's get off the ledge. Okay. Ooh, chapter 5. I get worked up. I know I get worked up over this. First Peter 5, verse 6. Now, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, King James says, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences or suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So much for poor me. My life stinks. Come on. We've got to get rid of that self-pity garbage. I'm sorry your life is so sad. Why don't you change it? I'm, I'm getting tired of complaining my life sucks. I hate it. I, yeah, yeah. Change it. Right. Change it. <laughs> Revelation. Do you know that sometimes people just have a belly for grief and you just have to get a belly full until you can't do it this way anymore? This is how many people get born again. Some of you got born again this way because you just couldn't live like that anymore. And instead of complaining and blaming God for your situation... Why don't you rise up and do something about it? I believe God can handle you. I believe he can. I believe he can take you down if he needs to as well. Okay. But resist the devil, verse 9. It's the same. There again, I already read that part. Verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and and establish you. Notice after you've suffered a little while. Will God let you suffer? Yeah, he will. Why will God let you suffer for a little while? Grow you up. Build your character. That's right. That's right. Jesus himself learned things through obedience. He, right? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You see, Americans don't like to hear that you're supposed to suffer anything. But the truth is, God will at some point puts you between a rock and a hard place to make you grow up and to get you to, to, be, to move from being self-serving and selfish and becoming other people-focused and kingdom-focused. It says here, the adversary of the devil is seeking someone to devour. Do you know he can't devour everybody? He can't devour everybody. If you've got that mentality, you've got a fear-based mentality that you've got to get rid of. 
understand our mentality is if the devil has come against us trying to steal from us, that means God's just wanting to bless you in return. You know, every time Israel went to war at the Lord's direction, they came away wealthier. So some of you guys have been facing some horrific challenges here recently. Some of you guys have been facing some awful things. Get ready. You're just about to walk into your wealthy place. Walk into your miracle. If you don't quit, if you, don't, if you get off the ledge, get back down here and let's get in faith and start acting like God's true. All right. Look what it says, verse 7. Casting your anxiety, casting your care on him. To cast means to throw. It's not shove over, scoot over. It means to throw. To cast your care or your anxiety over on the Lord. It is a forceful and deliberate move. This is not something you do half-hearted. Anxiety and care is a snare to you. How's that work? It's like this. I needed to get away for a couple days to clear my head. After I got settled in my nice, quiet, peaceful hotel room, for which I thank God very much, I sat in there and I said, Okay, Lord, I'm going to cast my care over on you because I had a load of stuff dumped on me this past month. So I went down, and I went down my list of every concern that I had, every person I was concerned about, every situation I was concerned about, everything in my family, everything in the church, everything in my life, everything. And I was like, you know what? I am casting these cares over on you. And I'm doing, and this is where this teaching comes from, because I'm going to tell you exactly how to do this so that you can do it as well. Okay, I took every single one of those cares and I cast them over on the Lord. I'm going to give you some instructions in a minute. And I'm not taking them back because you can't rest when that stuff is pounding your head. You can't rest. You go away. You know, I came away feeling pretty good. I, I came back home feeling really nice. I told Brenda that little spot in my head was seemed permanently ironed out. That little, you know, wrinkle from, you know, no, it was it was smooth. I mean, I was feeling really good. And uh of course, I, got, I was only gone for a couple of days. I got back to town. I was telling Brenda this last night. I was reminded that the devil hates me, um, just in case I had forgotten. Um, I came into town having a nice couple peaceful days. I had cast my care on the Lord. It's like, oh, praise God, you know, you're going to take care of every one of these situations because I've prayed in faith. I believe your word is going to work. And, and so then I get back, and I'm coming up 17. I come up to the town and decide to pull over to the post office. Now, I am driving peacefully, you know. I'm not aggressively driving. I'm not cutting somebody off because I'm in no hurry. I'm, I'm not driving too slow either. I'm not one of those people. So I was just going right along, and I pull up to the light, and I'm waiting at the light. Somebody pulls up to me on my left in the turn line. And so we're just sitting here waiting patiently for the light, you know. And the light turns green, and all of a sudden, the guy in the car next to me yells something out of his window and gives me the finger. And I thought, I didn't do anything. I didn't cut him off. I didn't do anything. I promise you. I sat here going, was that for me? I don't think I did anything. You know? Not three minutes later, I walked in the post office, went to the box, opened up, and took out what I thought was probably some traveling evangelist telling me about their ministry to invite them, you know, to preach. Open up, and it was hate mail for Pastor Nana. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> Come on, guys, within three minutes. Mm-hmm. So all my casting of my care 
the temptation from the enemy came, you're going to take that care back right now? And tried to push that stuff and tried to steal my peace from me right then, right at that very moment. Well, I knew what to do, which I'm going to instruct you. And I took care of it. And within about, about at least half hour, because women, lots of times, I'm sorry, but the way we're wired, lots of times we take these things in way too easily. And so even though it was total strangers, total strangers did both these things to me, it's still, you know, if I throw a rock at you and hit you, it's going to hurt, right? It's going to hurt. So there was a little bit of a hurt, but I thought I've just spent a couple days having a lot of peace, everything calmed down. I ain't losing it because two strangers being inspired by the devil, that's all it was. The devil looking for somebody to devour. It's like, not me. You ain't having my peace. Inside of 30 minutes, I'm all happy, fine again. It's good. You know, I just kept processing it until it was gone, until it was gone. But tell me that was a coincidence. I don't think so. I don't think so. That was, it was kind of a, actually, it was kind of a stupid strategy, don't you think? I mean, it didn't work very well. The devil's not that smart, y'all. Don't get so nervous. I mean, he's really not that smart. And you have the mind of Christ, right? Anyway, so we're going to cast our care as a forceful, deliberate move. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Folks, an abundant life is not standing up on the ledge. An abundant life is not one that's freaked out and stressed out. Now, I began to think about this, about how Jesus lived. You know that Jesus lived an abundant life? If you just read over the Gospels and you start seeing all the accounts of how that he conducted himself and, and the emotions and things that he felt, you know, you begin to think about it, you know, Jesus doesn't panic and freak out when everybody else does. He doesn't get nervous when everybody else does. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. I'm telling you, love, joy, peace. You see them in Jesus all the time. You do not see love, joy, and peace in people on the ledge. You have to remind them the peace of God is within them. Draw on it. You have to remind them the joy of the Lord. Draw on it. Because people on the ledge have, a, have let go of love, joy, and peace. Isn't that right? How many of you agree with me? Think that's true? Sure. That's why when we're talking them off the ledge, we're putting that peace and joy and love back in them so they can get adjusted and deal with what they've got to deal with. So, Jesus had a life that was in the fruit of the Spirit. I began to think about it, and you did see Jesus distressed at Gethsemane. He said his soul was exceedingly sorrowful in the King James, right? He said he was pressed, stressed unto death. That means he was going through a real devastating time at Gethsemane. You saw him being distressed there. We also saw him being troubled at Lazarus' tomb. Remember when Mary and Martha, you know, he saw, it says, when he saw them weeping, he was troubled. You know, he already knew what he was going to do, but when he saw them, he was, he was affected by what was going on around him. You know, you can be compassionate and feel just fine and watch people you love in pain, and it troubles you, right? So we saw him <coughs> troubled there. And then we also saw him when uh, he wept over Jerusalem's fate. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you together because he knew it was coming. So he wept. So you saw there were times he definitely had these, these 
emotions and expression. But you don't see Jesus panicking, freaking out. Oh my God, what are we going to do? You don't see him behaving like that, do you? You don't see John and Peter coming up to him saying, Now, Jesus, just calm down now. It's going to be okay. You're a big boy. You can handle it, right? No. What you usually see is Jesus telling them to calm down. Remember what God's Word said. It's going to be all right. I got to thinking about the multitude when Jesus was feeding the multitude. You know, all these people come out to hear Jesus preach. And probably a bunch of them came from a distance. He says a bunch of them did. And they came and they brought their lunch. We know one time, you know, the little boy brought his lunch with him, right? So people came and they don't have McDonald's nearby, right? So they're all sitting out there in the open. And I'm presuming there must be some water nearby. I mean, I thought about that. Well, I guess there had to be water nearby because how would people, you know, drink or whatever. But so he's feeding the five thousand. I mean, before then, these people have been with him three days before he brings up the subject of dinner. Now, y'all, how many of you think if you were in charge of that meeting or if you were one of Jesus' guys and you could say, now, he's been preaching for a while. I understand yesterday some folks brought their to-go bag from McDonald's, but that was yesterday. We don't have McDonald's anywhere around here. Yeah, it's all day long. Nobody's got any food. Do you think on that second day you might have been getting a little bit agitated to say nothing of getting a little bit hungry? Mm. What happens when people get a little bit hungry? Okay. Yes. <laughs> they get cranky, don't they? So do you think that maybe on the second day you might have got a little bit agitated. Um, he's still preaching. I mean, he's still preaching. And it's been two whole days. You know what? Jesus does not mention this until the third day. The third day, he says, you know what? They've been with me three days. Let's feed them. They're probably, because they're going to, I don't want them to pass out on the way home. Isn't that what he says? Let's just feed them so they don't pass out from hunger. And the more I thought about that, I thought he was not agitated, distressed, or panicky on the first day or the second day or the third day. I'm here to tell you, I think most people I know on the second day would have been getting really nervous. If I'd have been Jesus, I feel like somebody would have come to me and saying, Pastor Donna, these people are going to have to eat. We got thousands of people. If you don't feed them, we're going to have an angry mob on our hands. That's the way my mind works. I mean, I just imagine these kinds of concerns will be coming up. Do y'all think that's maybe reasonable? Was Jesus nervous about it? No, he's not worried. He decides to feed them after three days. I just wonder if I would have lasted three days before I'd said, we got to do something. We got to do something. Organize a search party. Go somewhere. Something. I just don't know if we could have lasted three days. Think about when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. They came and told him, the guy you love, Lazarus, is sick. He says, okay, thanks for telling me. And sat where he was for two more days. Not nervous, not anxious, not worried. Two days. He deliberately waited two more days. I imagine Peter's going, um, Lazarus is really sick. We probably should get going. Don't you think we should get going? If we don't get there in time, something bad might happen. I just imagine there's got to be some kind of undercurrent going. Mary and Martha were distressed. 
What did they tell him? You know, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Didn't they say that? Because they were distressed. They were agitated. They are on the ledge. I mean, they're, as far as they're concerned, their brother's dead, and they're his sisters. They're unmarried, and they don't have any income anymore. Y'all understand, in that society, it was the brother's responsibility or the father to take care of the unmarried women. They're like, we'll be having to beg on the streets. You know, these types of things would get people who didn't know God on a ledge real fast. Folks, we got to stay off the ledge. Here are some steps to staying off the ledge. We're going to be like Jesus. The King James terminology for staying off the ledge is possessing your soul. In Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, In your patience possess ye your souls, in King James. Possessing your soul means you rule your soul. Your emotions don't rule you. <coughs> you're aware of the facts. You're aware of the challenges. But you've determined to walk in the spirit and not freak out and climb on a ledge somewhere. Possessing your soul gives you the ability to get out of negativity so you can deal with the present trouble in faith. Let me say that again. Possessing your soul gives you the ability to get out of negativity so you can deal with the present trouble in faith. The context of when Jesus told them this about possessing their souls was he is giving them the warnings of the prophetic word about what is going to happen to Jerusalem. Folks, this is not a real fun prophecy he's given. He says, Jerusalem is about to be overrun by a foreign army. Now possess your soul. How many of you think that's a good time to panic right then? If all of a sudden we got, you know, Jesus telling us, look, the state of Virginia is about to be taken over by an invading army, but don't panic. Folks, this is how, this is how these things are real. Do you understand? In patience, you possess your soul. You've got an opportunity to freak out, but you've also got an opportunity to walk in faith, and let's trust God. The number one step for staying off the ledge is a foundation of the Word of God. A foundation of the Word of God. That's great, you pray. That's great, you prophesy. But you better know what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God is a sure foundation that will not be moved. And I've heard so many people pray and prophesy that never read their Bibles, and it's done an inch deep. Folks, the depth of your praying and prophesying comes out of the foundation of the Word of God. Your roots need to go down deep into the Word of God and pull it up. This is going to make you much more reliable as a prayer or prophesier. It's going to make your words more powerful and they'll minister much more life to people than just something that strokes their emotions. Okay? Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There have been times I've said, I don't want to know the prophecy. I got a stack of prophecies. What I need to know is what the scripture says. I need to know what the word of God says. Because sometimes the prophecies are too vague. Sometimes those things you can be interpreted this way or that. And sometimes I have to go back to just tell me what the Bible says. Okay. And y'all know I love prophecy and we preach all that. Okay. But the foundation is the word of God. In Proverbs 1, 32 and 33, it says the waywardness of the naive will kill them. What are naive? People with no sense, right? People that have not been trained. People that don't know anything. The waywardness, that's the undiscipline of the naive, will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to 
me, speaking of wisdom, he who listens to me or the word of God shall live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. You've got to listen to the teaching and the instruction of the word of God. There's going to be times you don't particularly like what it says to do. You don't particularly agree with it. But listening to the word of God and applying it is what's going to cause you to live securely. When everybody else is freaking and panicking, you're the one that knows what God says and you're going to be okay. Insert tornado story here. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> I've told it a hundred times. Y'all know the story. Okay. Proverbs twelve fifteen. It says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. I have gotten so frustrated with people that you can't tell them anything. They know that. They, and particularly church people. Oh, yes. The counselor speaks. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, the devil can argue scripture too. And sometimes you just church people. They argue about, well, I know this. I've been in church. I know this. I know. I'm like, yeah, what's your life look like? Are you up on a ledge somewhere? I'm seriously, it's not in how many Bible classes you've been to, how many hours you've been in the Word, how many days you spent in church. It's not about that. It's like the fruit of your life. Is the foundation built, or is that something that just kind of went on one ear and out the other? It's he who listens to instruction. You know, it's like not hearing, but listening. You can tell, uh, my sister has a little dog that doesn't listen. Okay? He hears her, but he doesn't listen. How many think there's a big difference between hearing and listening? It's frustrating because he hears her. He'll sit right there while she's telling him to do something. He'll look at her, but he ain't listening because he don't want to. And I've seen Christians do the exact same thing. And some of them sit right there in church and go, amen, amen. <laughs> they ain't listening. I've heard people, amen, haven't you? They amen so much, there's no way they heard what's being said. They're talking more than the preacher's talking. Amen, amen, that's right, that's right. Go ahead, apostle, you tell them. And they don't even know what was said. <laughs> I was, there's a time I want to turn around and say, shut up and listen. You might learn something that will help you. Okay. <laughs> but you see, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Are you teachable? Well, that's not what I believe. That's not what I've heard. That means you're not teachable. If you ever get to the point to where nobody can tell you something, you're done. You're just done. I have been a Christian longer than I would guess all of you. Maybe there's one or two longer. But I would guess I've been a Christian longer than most of you. I've been in ministry longer than all of you. Okay? Some of you, I've been a preacher longer than you've been alive. Okay? So I'm here to tell you something that works. Do I have this perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm still pressing on. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I am not perfect. I'm working on some things. I had to take off two days to get my mind straightened out, okay? But I'm telling you, these things work. Listen to the Word of God and don't be naive or opinionated about what you think is right. Well, I just don't think that. You know what? You're in trouble. Because he who listens to wisdom is the one that's going to live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. Do you know, everybody can learn a lot of practical help on living from the simple instructions of Proverbs, the Gospels of Jesus, and the writings of Paul. I meet Christians sometimes, I just want to study Revelation. I just want to study the prophets. I just want to, I says, why don't you start with Proverbs, start with the Gospels, and the writings of Paul, because that's going to teach you how to live. 
There are so many things in there that are so practical that a lot of people, well, it's not deep. Look, this is how you save your life. This is how you build your life. There are so many things I've read in Proverbs. I just love the book of Proverbs. How many of y'all read Proverbs? Do you like Proverbs? You know, it's 31 chapters, one, one a day, works great. I read Proverbs over and over. I can't tell you hundreds of times I've read Proverbs. But it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because those types of things are the things that come up in trouble. I mean, I'm facing the tornado thing, and what comes, out of my, what comes up in my head? The wise man sees evil and hides himself. You know, it's because I spent time putting that stuff in. Its word becomes a light into my path, a lamp to my feet, or vice versa, whatever it is. So, there is so much that is so practical on how to live. And there are so many Christians, particularly in America, they don't want anybody to tell them anything. It's like, folks, you know, if you're reading the Bible, it tells you things like, don't grab a dog's ears. You know, that is, don't take on a fight that's not yours. He that blesses with a loud voice early in the morning, it will not be considered a blessing. <laughs> That's a great verse. You know another great verse? Uh, it goes, um, I read so many versions, I get my versions tangled up. But, but fair, the paraphrase is, He who, like a madman who casts firebrands, arrows, and death, so is a man who um, says, I was only kidding. Ha, <laughs> I'm kidding. You know what? I think practical jokes are cruel. You know, practical jokes intend to make a fool out of somebody. I'm kidding. It was a joke. Can't you take a joke? No, the Bible calls that foolish. It's wounding the people and it's foolish, you know? And I've watched people just go off and say and do the most awful things. I'm just kidding. You're just oversensitive. You can't look, folks. That's foolish. Proverbs says so. There are so many things like that. So we want a foundation of the Word of God. Jesus said that if we listen to his words, we applied them, we'd be like the man who built his foundation, built his house on a solid rock, right? If you were in Sunday school, we did this. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? <laughs> but that's how you want your life to be built because you're going to be facing something that your life needs to have a strong foundation. The next step for staying off a ledge is confession of sin and forgiveness. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Confession of sin. I've already put a foundation of the word in my heart. So when I went down on my little trip, I started going through confession of sin and forgiveness. <coughs> I forgave everybody in the world I could think of. Anybody that had ever done anything to me that I could halfway remember because you know what? I wanted it clean. I didn't want there to be any open door for the devil to come in and find a way to devour me. So I'm just looking for things to forgive. Even if I'm not sure it bothered me or not, let's just get it and forgive it and just go on, you know. Because I don't want there to be any unforgiveness in my heart that will cause the Lord not to hear me. I don't want there to be anything in here that the Bible says is a... Um, what is this in Hebrews 12? So that no root of bitterness would spring up and cause trouble. Roots of bitterness spring up when we've got unforgiveness. And yes, some of us have got some awful things we've had to forgive. If you are breathing, you've been hurt. If you're a Christian, you are commanded by God to forgive everybody who's ever done anything, real or imagined. I had a lady get mad at me and quit the church because I preached that one time. Because she wanted to hold on to her bitterness. And I told her she was in sin to do it. I did it from the pulpit. 
But boy, Darrow, I mean, daggers were flying. I mean, <laughs> she's mad because she felt greatly hurt by someone. And when I challenged her with what the Word of God says, she got mad and she's gone. And last time I saw her, she was still bitter, bitter woman. I told the Lord a long time ago, I don't want to be a crabby old lady. I don't want, why, how do people become crabby old men and crabby old ladies? Because there is a root of bitterness. Something happened when they were younger, folks, that they couldn't get past, they couldn't get over. I'm here to tell you, if the devil has his ways, he'd have everybody in here locked up in bitterness. And so there are some things the devil has planned for your life to get you into unforgiveness and bitterness. So you and I have to draw on the grace of God. We've got to get over this stuff, folks. What's it take to knock you out? Somebody didn't say hey to you? Somebody didn't call you? Somebody, I mean, what's it take? It's time for the body of Christ to grow up and begin to overlook things. You know, love does not take into account everything wrong done to it, right? Okay. Confession of sin and forgiveness is step two. Not only to forgive everybody that's hurt you, real or imagined hurts, but forgiving yourself. You know, forgive yourself for all the things you don't do right. Oh, particularly all of you overachievers, like myself. Oh, I got a 97 out of 100. You know, the things that we beat ourselves up over because we're not perfect and I didn't handle that right and I didn't do this. You know what? You've got to forgive yourself. Some of you are terrible friends to yourself. The way you talk to yourself, you wouldn't talk to your enemy. And you need to get over that. Some people are their own worst enemy. They are. You know, that's what the Lord was talking to me this past few days about. You know, the woman from Proverbs 31, it says the law of kindness is in her mouth. You know, that law of kindness is not just speaking to people out here. It's speaking right here, too. And the Lord spoke to me this week and said, you need to be kind to yourself. You know, sometimes we hold ourselves to a standard that is much higher than we hold anybody else to. And when we don't make, meet that standard, and we won't, there's nothing but condemnation that we, we, we put on ourselves. And, you know, in this time or two, I fall into that trap. I confess it to you. There's sometimes I fall into that, and the Lord has to get me back on here, Ben. Uh, you know what? Jesus died for failures. Jesus died for sinners. Let the blood of Jesus have its work and be nice. You know, be kind to yourself. All right. The third step for staying off the ledge is prayer plus thanksgiving. Would you turn to Philippians 4, please? Once we've got the foundation of the word, we've confessed our sin and our forgiveness. We want to obey the scriptures here from Philippians 4. We're going to look at verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. There's that word rejoice again. Always. Verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, you've got the cares, the concerns, the problems in your life and the people that you love, the people that you know. You've got these things that weigh upon you. You've got a foundation of the Word of God. You're forgiving everybody. You're confessing your own sin, including sins of unforgiveness, unbelief, all those things. Now, 
We're going to let the Lord know about all those concerns. So I took every one of my concerns and I says, Lord, this is my concern. And I prayed over every person and every situation that was on my heart. The things that have been weighing me down for a month. The things that I've been dealing with for a month. I took all these things and even threw a few extra ones in there too, you know, and just take them all because I'm going to cast all these cares over the Lord. So in casting, I have made my request known to God. Father God, this is what I want you to do. This is what the need is. But I, it says here to, to make it with thanksgiving. So with thanksgiving means we're not just whining and complaining. Because we have a foundation of the word, we can pray and say, God, according to your word. And I would tell the Lord, I says, Lord, I am letting my request made known unto you right now. I've got some requests for this person, for this situation. Therefore, your peace is going to guard my heart and mind. And I speak of the scripture back to him. And I began to quote the scripture in my prayer. No weapon formed against this person shall prosper. Father God, you're going to cause all things to work again for our good. What the enemy has meant for destruction, you will turn it for good. And you take the scripture and you pray those things back to God over your situation. And then when I did, and I said, okay, God, here's the situation. This is what your word says about it. I'm praying in faith. I believe you. Now I'm releasing the care of that over on you. And I'm casting it on you. Because I've already prayed. No sense in me worrying about this thing. Right? I've already prayed, so I've cast it over on the Lord. Ten minutes later, here comes the devil. Remember that little situation? My memory still works. And the devil likes to play on your memory. So what am I doing? I'm going, I have already cast that upon the Lord. For he cares for me. Cast it on him, and that way I'm not worried about it. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. I'm going to bed, right? Let him stay up and work on it because he's working behind the scenes. Meanwhile, I'm going to bed and get some rest. So I slept a lot while I was gone. And when I wake up, my mind was starting to think about it. I go, no, 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 no. I cast that over on the Lord. And this is where Thanksgiving enters in. Thank you, Lord God. You are faithful to your word. Thank you. You're working in this situation. I'm not praying again and asking God to do it again. Thank you, God, for taking care of this person. Thank you for bringing change, positive change in this situation. I'm letting my request be made known. Guess what happened? The peace of God showed up. The peace of God showed up. I had used the scripture. I was thankful. The peace of God showed up. Last verses, verse 8. The last step... After you've cast your care, your prayer, your thanksgiving, is control your thoughts. Control your thoughts. Anybody who is depressed, anybody who is sit, standing up there on the ledge ready to jump off, I can tell you it's what they're thinking about. What are you thinking about? You're not thinking what the Bible says here in verse 8. If you're, cry, if you're up on the ledge, you're in fear, you're in anxiety, you're in pain, right? Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So this means that when the temptation comes to think about something that's dishonorable or unlovely, then you just pull your mind back into, God, I'm going to thank you that you're above all these circumstances. You're my deliverer. You're coming through for me. Your word is true. It's going to prevail. I'm going to prevail. And get your mind back in the right track. 
I'm here to tell you what you think about will affect your emotions and will affect your physical body. Because if you get nervous and you think something bad's going to happen, what happens to your stomach? What happens to your head? What happens to, you know, it'll affect your digestion. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. If you are nervous, that's right. And where do you get nervous? Because of something you're thinking about. Because fear and anxiety has come in. So we're going to guard our thoughts, pull these things in, base them on the word. Verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that's a pretty amazing scripture. Because most people tend to live like, as long as I've got plenty of money, as long as everything's going my way, I'll be just fine. But Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter the circumstances. No matter. You see, God's after consistency in our lives. To where we serve him, we rejoice, we're faithful in good times and in bad. When things look great, when they don't look so great. We're not freaking out and, and thinking that things are going to panic and it's not going to work out. But we're just learning to adapt and learning to draw upon his grace. So we're going to speak words of faith just like Paul did. Do you realize that he's talking about something that has worked for him? I'm thinking about things that are true. I'm guarding my thoughts. I put my request before the Lord. His peace has come to me. And then he starts saying things like, I can overcome. He says, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Folks, that's a faith statement. That's a faith statement he just made because of the current press that he was in. He says, I've learned I can do all things. This should be our confession as well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not based upon how much money I have or how things are going in my life. But I can do all things. Just refuse to worry. You don't have to if you don't want to. You don't have to fret. Remind yourself of what God's word says. And decide you're going to stay in peace and joy. Avoid things that bring fear. Do you know... Um, somebody asked me, well, did you watch a lot of TV while you were gone? I says, no. I did watch the Food Network a little bit. That was kind of fun. <laughs> well, you know, the Food Network doesn't get, get, get you stirred up and thinking about stuff in your life. How many of you know you got a friend going through divorce, and you turn on TV, every TV show is about divorce? You know, you can't get away from it. You know, it's hard to remain in peace and faith and joy when you're watching that on the TV, when disaster is coming. There are things that I, there's been painful parts of my life. I didn't watch anything. I didn't read anything because I didn't want that thing pulling me out into my emotions, pulling me out into fear. I was going to stay right here in faith. I'm here to tell you what you watch will affect you. And you all know I watch TV, so I'm not against it. But I'm saying that sometimes you've got to be really selective about what you're allowing to come in. And sometimes the best thing you can watch is Food Network, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm seriously. That's right. I mean, you know. Because <laughs> some of these other shows, I mean, they'll just bring fear into your life, you know. Folks, let's take time to listen to the instruction of the Word of God and build some faith. Let's take time. Guard that faith. 
Don't, don't sit there and watch scary things and, and things are going to tear down the thing you're working so hard to believe. You know, if you are fighting for your healing, the last thing you need to watch is a bunch of medical shows. <laughs> I don't think that might be a smart idea, right? No. When you're fighting for your healing, watch something that makes you laugh. It's the truth. Laughing's really good for you. It's medicine. It's good medicine. All right. Father God, I ask you, Lord, for everybody that's been on the ledge will get off the ledge. Everybody just back, back down. Begin to walk in faith again. Father God, that we'll be able to build that strong foundation of the Word of God. That, Lord, that we would remain in the perfect peace and begin to live the abundant life that you died for us to have. Truly, Lord God, your word's true. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are patient, that you are kind, and you are merciful. And that, Lord, your word contains instruction for us. Your spirit will lead us and guide us in the way that we're supposed to go. And for this, Lord God, even if we're in times of distress, Lord, we rejoice. Because we have you. We have your word. We have your promises. And we have a way out. We praise you and give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you know somebody on the ledge, it's time to talk them down and get them to put their trust in God's word. Amen. 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 Hug somebody. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15858, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.